right, here we are. We're, uh, if you're new here, welcome. We're in week four of a series through an ancient letter that we call First Timothy. And as I was preparing the series, it's called Learning to Lead because it's a letter from an older leader to a younger leader. And in the same way, we all want to grow as leaders in our, in our home and in, and in business and in life. And this gives us a pattern, all of the details don't match up to our modern life of the things that he wrote about, but yet the principles do apply. And so there are four, five areas that we're going to look at over these weeks, and we've already looked at the first one, but here's just a general outline for some of you who are like, how does this book and how does this letter work? Well, First Timothy, the way I've just broken it down is chapter one is about confidence, learning to lead, growing in confidence. Chapters two and three, which we're going to start to look at, is learning to lead in team. God places you in group. And how do you learn to lead within your team? Family team, home team, work team, whatever team. And then chapter four is going to push us into how to lead by example. Paul has really practical things about how he can make a difference in the way that he lives. And we'll get to that in the weeks to come. Learning to lead in wisdom. How can I take any situation and apply God's truth to any detail of life? And then finally, learning to lead with generosity. The end of the letter is a call to Timothy and the church to be others-centered. So these are five areas of life I want us all to grow in. And the first three messages came from chapter one, confidence. It starts with confidence. And just as a recap over the last three weeks, people came into the church that were teaching a different message that was contrary to the good news as Paul taught it. So his word to, to Timothy and to the church was we need to grow in knowing what we believe. Why? People are going to come and oppose it or give another story. And if we're not confident in what we believe, how are we going to be able to discern what's right and true for our own lives? And as leaders, if you don't know what's right and true in following Jesus and grow in that, how are you going to help the people that are newer? So, so we are called to grow in confidence. Now, chapter 2 is where we begin to look at learning to lead in team. As a reminder, you're, you're part of something bigger than you. Life's not just about you. Life is meant the way God created it to be, to be lived and expressed with others. So you're a part of a family team. You have the people that are around you. You're part of a neighborhood team, the people that God's placed you in. You're part of work teams or school teams. How do you grow as a leader in the situations you find yourself in? And how do we fulfill God's vision? Because we're a part of a team called the church. God's united us. Whether this is your home church or you're just checking it out, you and I, we're a part of God's global family. How do we learn to lead with one another in the church? Well, Timothy and Paul are talking about church things, but we can apply it to all of life. So let's just start. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator, between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, 
who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I, Paul says, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher to the Gentiles. Okay, there's one word. Today's the foundation. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at various leaders are going to be sharing how, how this call to leadership fleshes out in team. So it's going to be a fun uh, next three weeks. But I want to look at the one word that drives everything in verses 1 through 7, and it's the word all. Say all. 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 Look, look at verse 1. I urge, first of all, end of verse 1, that thanksgiving be made for all people. Uh, beginning of verse 4, who wants all people to be saved. Uh, middle of verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. The word all drives it. And so as a leader... If we're going to learn to lead well in team, we need to be thinking about all, not just you, not just your department, not just one sliver of the pie. But as leaders, we want to broaden our understanding and remember the big picture, all. So this is interesting. All and these, these prayers are started in lieu of the tension that was happening in chapter 1. There are real people pulling people away from the church and the truth. And rather than fighting, Paul says three things that we can do referring to all people. No matter what your situation, whether it's here in the church or in home or in life, you can apply these as well. Three things I want us to look at this morning that we ought to do. Number one is pray for all. Pray for all. He says in verse 1, I urge then first of all, the first important thing, petitions, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. I urge you first, pray. This is, this is such an important principle for those of us who are following the way of Jesus. The first response is not action. The first response isn't necessarily strategy or approach or plan. The first response for the Christian is to pray for everyone. Now, again, this is in connection with conflict. And so if you're dealing with the situation right now, first things first. Now, prayer isn't the only thing. He says, I, I urge you then. I'm, I'm pleading with you. There's some people making trouble. First Timothy, call the church to pray. Don't fight them. Pray for them. Don't talk bad about them. Pray for them. Don't scheme. Pray and so Paul's first solution is prayer, and that is, I think, the first key to great leadership. If you're a follower of Jesus, whether or not your environment is Jesus-centered. So this isn't just for church. In your department, are you praying? Are you Now, prayer? what is prayer? Prayer is just talking and listening to God. And so he says, first of all, prayer. Now, he says petitions, prayers, verse 1, intercession, and thanksgiving. What does prayer look like? It looks like a lot of things. There's not one way to go to the Father. Prayer is talking and listening to God. It's not just telling God what he already knows. By the way, every time you pray, God already knows. But it's not wasting time. It's inviting God into that situation and listening for real wisdom. So it's not one-dimensional. There's lots of ways. And he says, pray for all people, kings and those in authority. By the way, He's writing this in a culture where the king and Caesar, the Roman emperor, are not following the way of Jesus. And those in authority are trying to slow down or stop the Jesus movement. 
Sometimes we think as, as Jesus followers, we're called to pray for people who are just like us. Hello. We're called to pray for the candidates that we approve of. We're called to pray for the people that we want. We're called to pray for the issues that we embrace. And first things first, you want to be a great leader in Jesus, you want to be a great follower of Jesus. You and I, we pray for everyone. Well, I'm not going to pray for them because they're opposed to the gospel. That's exactly what Paul says to Timothy. Our power is in our connection to God who is over all. And if we go to him with all things, he's going to make the difference. So the church is in, in light of being persecuted by those who don't believe, the church is called to pray. Now we pray for people, all people at all times. And why? Look at, look at why. Middle, middle of verse 1. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Or actually, middle of verse 2. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Now don't think like, okay, so God wants us to pray so that we can have like a quiet, calm neighbor. Don't think retirement. Like, Lord, could you, could you just stop the mess so I, can, so I can just do nothing with my time? I, I want a quiet life. That is not what he, he's saying. What he's saying is in the chaotic world in Ephesus, which was a center of trade, a center of values, a center of ideas, and so much conflict as people traveled. It was a, a port city. As people came and people disagreed with one another, here's what Paul's saying the church should pray for. Pray for peace in the community so that the good news of Jesus can spread faster. That's why he's saying that we'll live in all godliness, live peaceful, quiet lives, that we wouldn't be people of tension, that we wouldn't be the people that are riling people up. But, but if God, if you would quiet the scenario, quiet the city, then we could talk about Jesus without the distractions. And think right now, as people, you know, whether they saw it last night or they, you looked at your feed this morning, let's just look at the chaos in Pittsburgh and shootings that happen in churches and in synagogues and in other places of worship and in schools. And, and it's horrible. And we look at it as evil. That's exactly what it is. And our hearts go out to the families that are going through that and, and the people who are asking, where's God? So we're praying for peace in our world so that people aren't distracted from the presence of God but are looking to God rather than pointing the finger at God they're looking to follow God, and so we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. So let me ask you, is prayer a priority in your life? Is talking to God and listening to God? Now, I'm not talking about a ritual. I'm not talking about pre-meal, Lord, defatify the food. I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, before bed, kneel, and, you know, because you saw it on a postcard. All that's cool. Traditions are cool if they're life-giving, if they lead you to the presence of Jesus. Is your life filled with communication with God, talking as the day goes on? Do we live as if he's really there and concerned? Do we bring things up quickly or do we find ourselves doing stuff and then later thinking, man, I didn't even, I didn't even bring that to Jesus. If we're going to grow in Jesus together, if we're going to learn to lead, not just in the church, but be people of influence in the world that we live in, then the way people are going to know we follow this Jesus is that they know that we go to him about everything. I bumped into a guy in Connecticut speaking at an event years and years ago. Well, he happened to be a super successful attorney 
and uh, director of a big corporation. And he ended up, this is years ago now, uh, working in the White House as the uh, deputy chief of staff, then under President Carter. He wasn't a believer, although he went to church. He didn't believe the message. But, you know, good, good politicians, good leaders go to church, so he did. And he said, he said to face it, he, he said, it was watching Jimmy Carter pray about world situations. He would get alone and get with his Bible and have lunch by himself and pray. Holy. Now, the second I mention a president's name, some of you are sneering at me because he's not from your party. But I'm saying a, a man of prayer influenced another man, and in the end, he became a follower of Jesus as well. Are we a praying people? Is prayer a priority in your world? That's where it begins. You want to be a great leader? Learn to pray. Um, but then the second thing, because we are a church, is prayer a priority in, in our church? Now, I'm not slamming anyone. I'm not slamming us. This isn't passive-aggressive. But I think we have a long way to go when it comes to praying as a church. I, I, I could say I'm, I've been a part of it since the beginning, duh, um, that, that prayer has gone in waves. And it's not our highest priority, but I think that if we're going to grow in leadership in our community, in our city, where we're going to make a difference in people's lives, we're going to love people, we're going to care for people, we're going to share the good news with people, we're going to make a difference. It's not going to happen necessarily through more activity, although God may lead us to certain things. It's going to happen when we're pleading with God for people consistently. We're praying over our city where we're finding out what's going on in our neighborhoods so that we can go to God. Like, look, we may not have all the position to change policy, and you may not have the influence to make a big difference in your company or in your department or in your school, but you know what? Nothing can stop you if you've gone to Jesus in prayer. Nothing can stop you from making a massive difference because we believe that as God steps into a situation, everything will change whether my name's attached to it or not. The question is, do we really even believe that? I think the biggest enemy to prayer is that this false belief, it's not in the Bible, but this false belief that everything or anything that's going to happen is going to happen anyway. And, and we say it, even as Jesus follows, we say it, well, it was just meant to be. Really? I would, I would dare beg differ. If you read the Bible carefully, what you find is that God actually steps in when his people pray. And there are things that do, don't happen or are delayed in happening because you and I haven't joined God in asking. So asking really matters. Listening really matters. Prayer really matters. What if you believe that you never needed to take a calorie Intake to your body again. You, your body was just going to run. I don't need any more calories. I don't need any more calories. Somebody's saying, that would actually help me out. Like, you know, but, but I don't need any more calories. If you actually believe that and stop eating, what would happen? Your body would decline because you, you and I, we need calories for our body to function. Well, I think in the same way, sometimes we just think, well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. No, prayer activates and it moves the heart and the hand of God. Write this down. This is so simple, but it could change your entire life. We pray and God responds. We pray, God responds. Now, 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 now let me clarify. That doesn't mean you get what you want. That doesn't mean you get what you want. And oh, by the way, we have to relearn this, American brothers and sisters. We don't get it as fast as we want because we just want it. I ask for it. I receive it, right? 
Lord, I trust you. I trusted you yesterday. How come you haven't changed everything today? No, God responds. That means sometimes God is going to bring us through a season of difficulty and heartache and pain. That means when we ask God, sometimes the situation is going to continue, hear me, to decline. And it doesn't mean that he hasn't heard you or that he's not doing anything. It means that he's God and he knows the right response and timing and he knows how to care for you. So what God can do is rather than removing your situation or this person or the scenario, he could give you wisdom, grace, patience, strength, courage in the middle of it. We're going to look early next year at the life of Daniel. And we're going to look at his life and careful. We're going to realize that Daniel was a man of prayer, but his situation often got worse. And yet he found God in the middle of a den filled with lions. In being faithful to God, he was thrown in the pit and sentenced to death. And there he experienced the presence of God. And by the way, God shut the mouths of the lions. That's pretty cool. But he still got thrown in the pit. So let's not think that prayer is an escape from difficulty. No, prayer is the strength. I'm talking to God and listening to God so I can be transformed in the middle of difficulty. We need to learn how to pray. So why is praying for all, why is this like important? Let's just keep reading. Why is this important? Middle of verse three. This is good, this praying for everyone and pleases God who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Second thing I want us to see that we can do for all people. Number one, we can pray for all people. Number two, we can embrace God's heart for all people. As we pray, prayer is gonna, it's gonna take us somewhere. It's not, it's not the destination. Talking to God and listening to God brings us to a destination. What's the destination? God's heart for people. So prayer is primarily gonna change me. As I go to God honestly, there are things that I misunderstand about people that God can inform. There's judgments I've made about people that God can clarify. There, there are missing pieces in my world that God, by his grace, can fill in. If I'm praying to him for all people, I can begin to embrace God's heart. So God's heart, what is it? He tells us. God's heart is that everyone would be saved. What does all mean? And that all men would be saved or all people would be saved. It means all. God's heart is that all. Now, so we're saying, well, then God must be impotent because everyone isn't responding. God's heart is that all men would be saved. And he sent his son for all people. As we'll look at, he's the mediator, the one mediator between God and mankind the man, Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean everyone's going to respond to his news. It doesn't mean everyone's going to experience their life as Jesus. Uh, in Jesus. His heart is for all men to come to him, but some are going to reject him. And that's just like the reality of our world today, isn't it? Doesn't mean we don't pray, but we want to get a heart, God's heart for all people. We need to remind ourselves that God's chasing after people. I, I want you to, when you think about the good news, I want you to think about Jesus running running to people. If there are people in your world that seem like, man, they're just so lost, they're just so gone. I want you to visualize in your mind Jesus running to them, which is the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Jesus is running after people. You can't read the Gospels like honestly without seeing that Jesus touches people no one touches. He touches a leper. Jesus speaks to people that other people avoid. The poor, the marginalized, the nobodies. Jesus is running after people. So prayer is going to change my heart and I'm going to begin to embrace God's heart for people. Which is so important because Paul, Timothy, Ephesus is just like Portland. In Ephesus, there are many temples, many gods, many paths, many worldviews. It was a clash of ideas. It was an affluent city. It was a respected city. It was an influential city, just like the Portland area. So we're living in the same times. And what Paul says to Timothy and the church is, guys, don't forget to get God's heart for people. Here's a clear reminder. There is one God, middle of verse 5. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. We live in an age where people, most would say, well, if there's a God, there are many ways to him. And so we have to deal with the honest reality. As we prayed, we want to be people of influence. We want to be leaders, right? We want to inform people of the goodness of God in all of life. What do we do with this whole idea of Jesus being the only way? Why is Jesus the only way? That seems a little narrow-minded, doesn't it? I mean, just saying it. You're telling me, Jose, of all of the beliefs out there, that Jesus is the only way. Now, it sounds narrow-minded, but the more we think about it, it actually isn't. It's painfully true. Painfully. I... I don't like it, but it's painfully true. Why? When we think about what all of the Bible says about our situation, and I'll just review all of the Bible in a one-liner. Sin leads to death. Why is Jesus the one mediator, the one middle person that brings God together with mankind? Is because you and I are so broken, yet we don't, we don't really get it. We don't really realize that the, the wages of our sinfulness isn't time out. It's death. Sin destroys. It destroys fully. And sin is pervasive in that it's affected everything. It's affected everything we think. It's affected everything we see. It's so out there, it's like air. You don't even see it. You just breathe it. Our own corruption is so bad that our destiny is death. And if that's not true, then Jesus doesn't make sense. But the the revelation of the Bible is that sin is taking us further from God. It's not bringing us closer. And by the way, the second one-liner is equally important. Sin can't be removed by doing more or trying harder. This is why is the exclusive claim that Jesus is the one mediator so important is because if you take sin seriously and that it leads to death, you realize, well, okay, I don't want to go that path. And this is where different philosophies have different views. But the Bible reveals that doing more, trying harder, can't make up for the past. And so all attempts at knowing God and drawing close to them are beautiful. Hear me. All attempts at knowing the living God and drawing close to them are beautiful, but they're not equally helpful. And so take any system of belief that is out there and evaluate that all 
beautiful and that, man, anytime anyone wants to be closer to the living God, that's a, is that not a good thing? This is a good thing. It's how we get there that can be effective or ineffective. If sin leads to death and doing more and trying harder isn't enough, this is, I think, where the good news really becomes good. It's not about talking down other approaches. It's just helping people to see what if that's not enough? What if, what if the approach that you're taking is insufficient if sin really corrupts and we can never know the living God unless we deal with it fully? What if it only gets you halfway? What if it doesn't get you all the way to the God that you want to know? This is where the good news is like so beautiful because Jesus is our mediator. In other words, he stands in our place. And this is where no one else, let's just, look, let's be honest. No one else is even claiming this. That in the one man, born of the Virgin Mary, one man, Jesus, who's called the Messiah, that's Christ Jesus. Jesus, who's, who's, who's God's Messiah, God's rescuer, is uniquely at the same time. At the same time, he is God, fully God, and he is man, fully man. That's a mind blow I can't fully explain, but that is how Jesus explains himself, and it's how the Bible reveals Jesus. He is God fully, and he's man fully. Why? To reconnect us. So as God, he is able to free us from sin. Who can free us from our own corruption? The creator. Think of any product that's been created in all of, of the world. Think of the car. Think of the truck. Think of the, a football. Think of anything. Who can change it? The one who created it. Can a ball fix a ball? No, it needs the, it needs the creator of the ball to step and say, oh, that's messed up, but I can do it. In the same way you and I have been so corrupted by our own rebellion that only God can change us and guess what? Jesus is God. He's able to save. At the same token, well, well, he didn't sin. I have sinned, so how do I deal with mine? I'm so far from God. And Jesus uniquely, because he's a man, can identify with our situation. He was tempted in every way just like us, yet he was without sin. He was tempted in every way. So you and I failed, but Jesus succeeds at all things and because he's right, he can stand in our place. And that's what happens on the cross. Jesus uniquely, one, one in all of history, as God says, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to pay the sin debt in full. And Jesus takes our sin on the tree. And he dies our death so sin could be paid for. And he rises again in power. Because if he died, and that's the end of the story, this isn't good news. This is pathetic. But he rises again and he's alive and he shows himself to people and says, I can and I will set you free. And guess what? I'm not going to set you free if you try harder. I'm not going to set you free if you do better. I'm going to set you free if you turn to me and trust that what I did, I did for you. This is, my friend, the good news. This is the good news. There's only one mediator. So, so all paths, if they're leading towards God, are, they're beautiful and that man... I love it when anyone is going Godward, but they're not equally effective. This is why we have this message, that those who are hungry for God can find their full satisfaction in Jesus. Those who are looking for truth can find their 
full satisfaction in Jesus. Those who are looking for freedom and forgiveness can find their full satisfaction. They can find it in Jesus because Jesus is the mediator. So we pray for everyone. Why? Why do we pray for everyone at all times and all things? Because we want the best scenario for people to have an open hearing to God's love. We're praying for peace in the world, not so that we can relax and just enjoy life. We're praying for peace because in peace, it's easier to get from place to place and share good news. We, we pray that conflict goes low so that people will listen to one another instead of throwing bombs at one another so that Jesus can be followed and loved. We're praying with God that his message would spread. So we pray for all people. We embrace God's heart. God wants everyone to be saved. And then the third thing is where Paul lands it. We share good news with all. We share the good news with all. Now, this is just the beginning of what it means to lead in team. If you're not focused on the main objective, it's easy to fall off course. As a matter of fact, human nature is to fall off course. Ask anyone who's ever started anything. Day one, here's what we do. Here's why we do it. Everyone's uniform's clean. Everyone's ready to go. Give it a week. And naturally speaking, everyone will fall off the vision and fall into their own rut. It's called human nature. And so what Paul does is he calls, if you want to be God's team, God's messengers, God's people working together, then keep the main thing the main thing. Timothy, pray. Church, pray for everyone. Get God's heart. Ask God to reshape your heart. And then guess what? When you have God's heart, which is for people, share, speak up. Why are we here? We are here as a community to show God's love. Our, our tagline here is helping people experience life in Jesus. That's why this church is here. That's why this church was planted. That's why this church still remains. And this is the vision for the church. We are called to help people experience life in Jesus. Now we meet on the weekends and we meet in homes and we go to abundance and we do guys things and we have all, we do camping trips and stuff. We do all this stuff, but forget the stuff. Why are we here? We're here to help. We're here to help you. We're here that we can help each other. We'll help each other what? In the end, no matter what's going on, we want to bring Jesus into it. Experience his life. So when a relationship is in trouble, What's needed? The life of Jesus. When financial trouble comes, what's needed? Money? Money's helpful. The presence of Jesus. When we need wisdom, we don't know what to do for our future, what's needed? Well, some, some counsel is helpful, some advice is helpful. Jesus. We're here to focus our lives and the lives of the people around us to Jesus. We share the good news, which is why I want, you, I want to read just quickly the scenario in Ephesus, because some of us don't make the connection. Acts 19 tells the story of Paul in Ephesus. And I just want you to see, this is Luke writing a sliver of the story. It says, Paul entered the synagogue, this is in Ephesus, and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So he goes to the synagogue and he shares good news. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe. They publicly maligned the way, which is what they called following Jesus. They called those people, people of the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years. So all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia 
heard the word of the Lord. I just want, to, I want us to get the progression. Paul's not asking Timothy to do something he didn't do himself. He went in and he prayed. God opened the door. He went to the synagogue. Why? He was Jewish in background. He was seen as a rabbi. He had an open door. Guess what? As a leader, you have an open door and you have an influence. You already do. There's a place of your primary influence. It may be over one person and they're like two years old and you know, they're in your arms. It could be a small team of three. It could be six or seven students in a class. You already are an influencer. What does Paul do? He starts with his area of influence. For him, it's the synagogue. So he goes in, three months. Some believe. Others are really obstinate. Does he fight them in the synagogue? Does he protest to shut down the synagogue? No. He takes those who are open and says, hey, uh, we're obviously going to start a fight here. Hey, come over here. And he rents a hall. He goes in the center of town. He finds a neutral spot. He starts with his primary open door, but a good leader, even when they meet resistance, is going to find another open door. And so for two years, he doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. It gets to the point where it says, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia. This is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. He said in two years, Everyone in the whole area, I don't think that Luke did a census and went door to door and said, have you heard Paul's message? Have you heard Paul? I don't think, I don't think he did that. But the influence, the spreading of the good news, he saw a closed door. He went to the place of the open door. He was faithful to share the good news, train people in the good news, and those people went out to their places of influence. It kind of sounds like they went to church on Sunday and talked about Jesus on Monday. That's what it sounds like. And over a two-year period, enough people came through and learned and were growing and experiencing life. And they went out and they went out and they went out. Paul didn't speak to everyone, but the message was heard by everyone in the region. So I want to pull this together with one line that if you haven't written anything down, please scribble this down and pray about it this week. We pray so that we'll hear God's voice, we'll catch God's heart and do God's work. That's why we're here. You want to be an influencer? We're praying. We're praying to God because we want his voice. We want to hear from him about what we're to do. We want to get God's heart. That means prayer starts with me talking to God and then listening and being open. Hear me. Being open to being wrong. Maybe my attitude's wrong. Maybe some of the reasons I'm not influencing people with the presence and power of Jesus is because I don't see them in the same way as Jesus. My friend, as long as you don't see someone like Jesus does, why in the world are you going to risk anything to talk about him? But when you begin to get God's heart for the people around you, it won't burden you to the point of exhaustion. You're not going to feel guilty. What you're going to feel is compelled, uneasy, because you realize you have the words of life and that their approach, it may be good and that they're Anyone going towards God is a good thing. But their approach may be insufficient because sin is that evil and the payment of it is that specific and Jesus is the one person who can pay for all of our sin, the testimony given at its proper time. Of which Paul says, I've become a herald. Like I can't help but talk about it. And oh my goodness, God made me an apostle to it. I'm a leader in it. And God sent me to the Gentiles. He throws that in all the time. Why? 
Because that made no sense. He was a Jew, but God sent him to a different people that he was going to have to learn to love because subtly, as a Jew, his heart towards non-Jews became cold. In their culture, to be Jewish was beautiful, and to be not of Yahweh is to be less than. God broke Paul's heart. And he broke his heart so much that he said, Paul, because you were off in understanding my heart for people, I'm going to use you as a model to display for 2,000 plus years. When Jesus gets a hold of your life, he could do anything. And if he can turn Paul, who's anti-Gentile, to be the messenger of Jesus to the Gentiles, certainly he can use you. All right, well, what's going to push us? What's going to move us towards sharing good news, news with people? Um, it's not going to be a program. It's going to be a heart change. As leaders, if we're going to lead in team, something's going to have to happen in my soul, and that's where it begins. It begins not with others, not programs, not strategies. It begins with me and my heart. I'm saying as a Jesus father, in any context, what can I do? I can give my heart again over to Jesus, and I can ask him honestly, God, do I actually see people like you see them? Start there. And I think God and his love will be brutally honest with you. And it's a dangerous one, but God, where's my heart for people? And if it's not in alignment with you, God, I want people to experience your life, and I want to be useful. Start with me. Great leaders don't identify the problem in the rest of the team. They start with themselves. Great leaders in any industry. Don't just try to change you or the department or the strategy or the budget. They start with themselves. And they humble themselves, and they look within, and then... When things have been made right within, then they're in a position to influence the whole team. So what do we do? We pray, 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 we pray. We, we ask God to stir us to be a praying people. Because my friend, this doesn't happen in 30 minutes. It doesn't happen within the context of this series. This will be something we'll be talking about for the next 30 years. If God gives me the grace, I'll be yapping about it for the next 30 years because until we continually submit our lives to Jesus, continually, 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 I'm never going to be reshaped. All right, two prayers that I'm asking us to start with as a church. The first, Lord, will you reshape my heart? My heart is his. If I am in Jesus Christ, I'm a child of God. So my heart is his, but it needs to be reshaped. He's my Lord but he's increasingly becoming my influence in the way I see people. I need God to reshape my heart. So, so if we want to lead well, if we want to lead in team, let's ask God, Lord, reshape our heart and, and ask that change would begin with us. And the second is equally important, Lord, use me. And that's that two sides of the prayer. God, I want to be reshaped. But I don't want to be selfish and like, God, just me, me, me. Like, you know, I want to be better. I, no, I want to be reshaped so that I'm useful. So maybe you're in a good spot and you don't have to spend a lot of time about the reshaping. Maybe God's already been working in your heart. Well done. Keep up. Don't stop. Uh, but I think for many of us, that's where we need to begin. And then it doesn't end there. It ends with, Lord, use me. All right, um, here's what I want us to do. I, I don't care to talk about stuff that we can't apply. So rather than just jumping into singing, we're just going to create space. Uh, so there'll be less songs on the back end than, than usual on purpose. Because if we're not gripped to pray now, 
than Jesus. Keep coming, but God's going to have to break the wall down. If right now you're not like, man, I need Jesus, then, uh, then I would suggest that something needs to happen within. Because when I hear about God's heart for people and I think of my own biases, I, I realize I need to be reshaped. So um, we're just going to create space. The, the band is, is going to come. Don't let them be a distraction. They're just going to play. Because sometimes quiet in a large room, you start to hear everyone's cough. I'm not kidding. So I've asked the band, hear me, I've asked them just to play, to fill the space so that you're not distracted by the people around you. Uh, I'm going to even ask if they could flip the lights in the back. And we're just going to make it darker here. Why? We're not, we're not creating voodoo, all right? Calm down. What we're, what we're doing is we're trying to strip away the distractions so that now my heart can get in alignment with God's heart. So here's what you can do. You can stand if you want. You can sit. That's beautiful. You can open your Bible, which you can't now because it's dark. Uh, you can open if your Bible's on your phone and just read this passage again. You can get on your knees. You can walk to the side. Just be free. And we're just going to play. And, and those two prayers, Lord, reshape my heart. Lord, use me. We're just going to give you space to engage with God. Lord, we're here and we're your people, your sons and daughters, and now we want to move in your direction and we need you. So as your sons and daughters lift up their hearts, as we lift up our hearts to you, God, begin, begin the work. 